We'll go to the next one, Dan. Okay. This, is a, this was one of the most powerful intermediate-term bottoms that I've seen. Uh, here's the, actually, the, the prior top was right here. I think we were off maybe 11% from here to here or something like that. Uh, you can see on the way down, there's a bunch of distribution days, only the one accumulation day here. When you come down to the bottom, notice how everything changes. Look at all these green arrows. In a, in a three to four week period of time, you're seeing something like two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven accumulation days and one distribution day. At the exact same time this was going on, there were scores of growth stocks breaking out of the types of bases I just showed you. This was a real green light to me to go in there and start buying. It was time to go ahead and start buying growth stocks as they were breaking out of bases. This is the crux of how I look at the general market. I ignore what the press says. I turn my TV off at 10 a.m. Eastern and it stays off for the rest of the day. You know, I don't read Wall Street Journal. I really try to look at just what the market is doing itself. And I also don't look at any indicators. The only indicator I look at really besides volume is the relative strength line, which I always look at on every stock chart. But when I look at the general market, I just look at the big averages, uh, mainly nowadays the NASDAQ, not so much the Dow. And I look at, as I just said, the accumulation distribution patterns in the index. Is it making higher highs, higher lows, or lower highs, lower lows? So in other words, I see what sort of trend it's in. And the second thing I look at is the action of the leading stocks. The index can look great, but if no, none of these leaders are coming out of well-formed bases, that tells me there's really nothing to buy. And the speculative sentiment that is drawn to these uh, high-growth vehicles that I like to favor in the technology sector is not there. And every durable advance needs some kind of speculative sentiment. I don't mean speculative sentiment like December 98 when companies put out press releases saying they were going to have an internet site up in 10 days and the stock goes up 80% that day. I don't mean that kind of froth. I'm talking about just healthy sentiment, healthy speculation where people are once again feeling they want to plunk money down on stocks with high growth rates, which are your higher risk vehicles in the market, no doubt about it. Dan. Dan, go, go back to the, no, the last one. Yeah, this right here, if you notice, there's really no there's really, this is just a straight up move. This is so powerful. There really are no natural highs and lows in this. So in this situation, that's the most bullish thing of all. When it comes right off and you're seeing a bunch of accumulation days um, over, say, a three-week period, and at the same time you're seeing growth stock after growth stock breakout. That was, that was a great time to be in the market. Yeah. Okay, here's your bottom, the big bottom in September 98. Uh, this was very. This was really tricky because a lot of people said, "Here's the bottom here." Uh, started buying coming up here. Uh, the market ended up testing this prior low, which shook a lot of people out. Uh, but at this point, when it makes a higher high right here on this particular day, it exceeded this high here. That should have told you that definitively the trend changed, and you should not have been waiting for the, the market to be way up here to begin buying again. At the same time, a lot of growth stocks were beginning to break out of bases right in here. So again, you're putting the two things together. You're putting in your analysis of the big averages, namely the, the NASDAQ these days, with what the leaders are doing. If you see a lot of growth stocks begin to break out of big bases on big volume, at the same time that a big average like this is coming off 
some sort of low. You don't know if it's the real low at that point. You never really know that except in hindsight. But if you see an index coming off a low with all of a sudden a bunch of accumulation days versus the distribution days, and you see a bunch of growth stocks break out of basis, that's all you need to know to go back in the market. But this is the way I do it anyway. Dan? Okay, this was a NASDAQ bottom of uh, late, late 99. This is sort of a long basing period um, right in here. You can see this particular day when it tried to break out to a new high was pretty critical. Usually where the rubber meets the road in any stock is when it makes a new price high on a particular day where it hasn't made a new price high, say, in five, six weeks at least or even six months at times. That's where the rubber meets the road. If that stock's going to move higher, that particular breakout day and its volume on that day are two things that are going to tell you if the stock is really healthy or not. Um, so the market comes back. So the market on this particular day, if you notice, had very weak volume. That was a sort of a warning sign that, gee, something's maybe not right. Um, the market comes back down here. These two days were key. These were critical, critical days for you to recognize. You have to be looking at this every day. You have to know what the big averages are doing on a price volume basis every single day. If you saw this price gap here and this price gap here, and you notice the two big, big volume days here that exceeded volume every single day way back for months, and both days closed near the high of their daily range, that's enough to tell you that the tide has changed. When you combine that with the fact that a lot of growth stocks were breaking out of bases, a lot of these uh, high growth tech glamours like uh, uh, Brocade, Ariba, JDSU, Juniper Networks, PMC Sierra, uh, VeriSign, was, that, was VeriSign doing that then too, Dan? Yeah, Siebel Systems. When you see these two things happen, the index take off like this and the leading stocks, it's your best indication the market is ready for a move higher and the bottom's put in. I don't try to predict how far the market's going to go. I don't try to predict the market at all. I just look at what the market's doing right now. Um, in Bill O'Neill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks, he says something like, it is not necessary to forecast the market. All you need to do is know what the market's doing right now. Those were the most uh, valuable words I've ever read in any textbook, and I've read over 100 of them on the market. Those are the most valuable words that taught me the most about how to look at the general market. If you forget about trying to forecast things and look at what the market's doing today in terms of the averages and the leading stocks, that's all you need to know. I've been in every intermediate advance for a number of years, and I haven't missed one advance by just following that, that basic philosophy. Dan? Okay, this is another example of, of okay, here was, here was our recent uh, top in the NASDAQ. This was an example of how if you were looking at volume when the NASDAQ came down and you saw these, these, these wedging days where you had price rise, volume dry up. Price rise, volume dry up. Every single time for four consecutive rallies that price tried to rally, there was no demand for stocks at that point. You didn't have to have somebody get on CNBC and tell you that maybe it was going to go up, but then again, maybe it wasn't. If you just looked at this, this was objective evidence of what was happening today and was more than enough information to tell you to not be in the market at that point. Or if, or if you wanted to go in the market, maybe make a couple of test buys um, and see if they worked out. And if they didn't, you cut your losses and you went back into 100% cash position. 
Um, for those of you that are not familiar with my strategy, uh, when the market is not in a healthy uptrend in the NASDAQ and a lot of the leading stocks are breaking down, I sell my positions and I move to 100% cash position. I did that on March 15th. That was uh, three trading days after the top or two trading days after the top. I'm not going to be that perfect every single time. And for all I knew at that point, as I wrote in my column, I said, I, didn't, I don't know this is going to be a top, but when things are breaking down and your, lead, your winners are starting to really come in, at some point you have to draw the line and say, I'm going to lock in profits, move to cash. And if it turns around and goes right back up in my face, so be it. Um, Dan? I wanted to just show you a little bit of, this is sort of an interesting chart. This is how Microsoft looked right after it went public. And we all know Microsoft was one of the biggest uh, winners of, of the last uh, 12 or 15 years or so. Some people ask me if I ever play the IPO market. My answer is I play it, but I don't play it on the IPO day. I don't play it on the day that it goes public. The reason is that there's not enough price history there for me to understand supply and demand, the supply and demand quotient in that particular issue. By waiting for a stock to go public, here's where it went public. And again, you can see I didn't adjust for price splits because it's trading at, what, 24 cents here. Um, it you know, came out, formed a little, a little pattern here, and then formed sort of a bigger um, semi-saucer or cup-type base, okay? Notice when it came up to the top of this, it pulled back for a couple of days, forming a little handle or a little platform. And if you, it's kind of hard to see, but if you look at this little line down here, you'll notice that you had two days of really, really low volume. Nobody was selling when the stock came back. That was an alert signal that told me if I was interested in this stock, this one had the potential for some sort of a move. Um, this is the way I play the IPO market. I wait for a base to form, and after the base forms, um, I'll go ahead and buy the stock when it breaks out to a new high. Um, the next one down is uh, Microsoft again. This shows you what I just showed you before. This, here's, the, here's the base. Here was the volume. And you can see what it did from here. Notice how it, it moved up. It formed another base right here, which would have made an ideal place for you to perhaps add on a little bit more to your, your initial position, which is called pyramiding. Yeah. OK, fine. This is Cisco Systems when it went public on this day right here. I guess everybody in here probably wished they would have bought somewhere in this point and probably wouldn't be sitting in this room today. But um, I actually saw this happen over here. Um, I was, this is 1990, and I was just learning the strategy, and I was scared to buy stocks that I wasn't familiar with. And this was in a, the networking industry, and in 1990, the only networker that I knew about was Novell. I didn't really understand what networking was all about. Um, so and I thought, Cisco, I've never heard of them. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to go to the next one. I'm not going to consider buying this stock. What happened was, um, here's your bear market. There was a July to October bear market in the, in the big averages. What you should always be aware of in a down market, even like the one we're in now, is that when the bear market ends, it's the stocks that move back to new high ground, the first, that invariably are your big winners in the coming months and sometimes even years. This is the best example I've ever seen of a stock that really came so quickly off its low. In nine days, it was up at its old high. 
okay? It took months for the NASDAQ and Dow to re regain their old highs. So something, was, something about that stock was telling you to buy it. It was, for some reason, it was like somebody was, you know, pushing down on it for a long time, and it was like a spring, and as soon as the market, the pressure of the overall market came off, the stock was ready to just jump into new high ground. This is another sort of a uh, cup pattern with the handle. Um, it's not a particularly perfect handle because it's very deep from here to here. Um, you can see what happens on the breakout day. You've got huge, huge volume that dwarfs every other day in its history. This is the biggest sign that perhaps something is, is really happening with the stock. Again, volume tells you a lot about a stock or an index. Yeah. The one thing that, that, that I do, which um, a lot of the, the successful people that use this kind of strategy do, is uh, related to money management. And that is, uh, when we get a winner, we add on to the winner as it goes up. Now, I really would not recommend anybody do this um, that has not had any experience with this strategy. I would prefer to see people maybe paper trade this kind of a thing. When I first started studying the strategy in 1990, I paper traded it for probably four months. Um, then we went into the bear market and miraculously all my paper trades sort of stopped themselves out and I was in cash on my paper portfolio and that's what gave me the confidence to begin trading this in 1991 with my real account. Um, the worst thing you can do is take any new strategy that you've never traded before and start trading your real money because what's going to happen, I mean, if you haven't really gotten a lot of confidence with it, is what's going to happen is you're going to get into a losing spell, which we all have, where you, know, you, you put on five or six trades in a row and they all are losers, and you're going to be tempted to chuck the whole strategy before you even give it an opportunity. Um, I'm sure this last year a lot of people bought breakouts and they, they, their account, I see a couple heads nodding here, they saw their accounts go down for whatever reason. The position sizes were too large, um, and they checked the whole strategy, and I find that very sad because this type of strategy um, has produced, I'm not saying my particular type, but, it, but a similar strategy has produced more outstanding intermediate term traders of our era than any other hands down. Um, my two good friends, Gil Morales and Christian Catcher, each ran their accounts up over 500% last year. Uh, Chris Catcher has run his account up in the last four and a half years 70,000%. Um, I personally looked at his account statement uh, uh, two months ago, spent five and a half hours with it, looking at all the trades. I, you know, I can certainly verify it. Um, I just finished co-authoring a book called uh, Conversations with Top Traders that's available for sale at one of these uh, booths out here at the show. Um, a number of the people in that book used this sort of high growth, high relative strength, momentum-based strategy. Um, there's a great interview in there, chapter one, in fact, with Chris Catcher and Gil Morales, and they go in and they talk about how they roll up big gains year after year using this type of strategy. You don't learn it overnight. It took me maybe two to three years to feel totally comfortable with this. I had a great first year in 1991 with the strategy. In 92, I ignored the sell discipline, and as all of my stocks topped and formed perfect tops, I was sitting there holding them, thinking, well, I'm gonna be a long-term investor now. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do what I did in 1991. 
and all my winners, you know, Home Depot and Costco Wholesale and um, some of these big names broke down. And in 92, I think uh, I underperformed the S&P by like 10 percentage points. So it wasn't, you know, it didn't really kill me, but it was still very frustrating. In 93, I learned my lesson in the spring of 93, and I went back to the, to the, to the strategy I've been talking about, and I really haven't looked back since. Um, one more thing about money management, again, is um, it's a very personal thing how much uh, of your account you allocate to each position. Um, I'll, put on, I'll usually put on somewhere around 10% of my account on my opening position, but if you're just starting out on the strategy, I would suggest something smaller uh, until you really prove to yourself that it works. Perhaps paper trade it, that might be one way to get going with it. A second thing to do might be to take a small portion of your account and devote it to the strategy. If that works, if you have confidence with that, maybe devote your whole account to the strategy. But you have to get to a point where you have absolute 100% faith in any strategy you're using before you commit your whole account to it. Because again, as I said, the danger is you will be in a situation where you come up with five, six losers in a row and uh, you're going to check the whole thing. You're not going to have faith in it, and that's the exact worst thing to do. And sadly, probably a lot of people have done this with various strategies that they have this last year. Uh, when it wasn't the strategy that didn't work, it was the person's discipline to not buy stocks and go heavily uh, in an invested position when the overall market looked cruddy. Um, but getting back to money management again, what, what the best people do, once you get some experience with this, the number one best way to jumpstart your results and really add a tiger in your tank is to take more concentrated positions. And what that means is you add to a position as it moves up. If you look at your account at the end of every year, you'll probably notice as you do your schedule D or perhaps you just look at your, your account anyway, you'll notice that almost every year you'll have a few pretty big winners in your account. No matter what strategy, you, even if you're a buy and hold investor, you'll have a few big winners and there'll be a bunch of stocks that went underwater, stayed there for the whole year or whatever. The idea with money management, the way I use it here with my strategy is, when I'm in a stock that, that breaks out of a base and the volume's good and everything, if it runs up no more than 5%, I'm gonna add to that position at the 5% point or at the two to 3% point. So let's say, Hypothetically, let's just say I have a $100,000 account, and I put 10% of that account in a stock at a price of $100 a share, okay? If, it, if, the, it's, if it's got a great looking base, and the overall market is in a new uptrend, for example, stock breaks out at 100, moves up to 102 to 103, but no more than 105, and I'll add another half size position. So I'll add another 5% of my account to that position. If it moves up a little bit more, I may add half of that which would be 2.5%. That's called pyramiding, where you've got your biggest size position down at the bottom, and as it moves up, you're putting smaller and smaller pieces onto that original position. Uh, you don't want to add necessarily the same size position as you move up because you're going to get your average cost too high. Then what I do is I trade each of those individual positions as if they're their own position. So if I buy 10% of my account, I put in at 100, and I put another 5%, at 102 and another 2.5% in at 105. Each of those I use a 5 to 7% stop loss rule on, basically. Or actually, a lot of times I use a 3% stop loss rule on these add on positions because I've got a larger part of my account in those positions. Um, when the market's really running strong, I feel very confident that 
this is the beginning of a new intermediate term move. I will sometimes take a position of 20% of my account to start off with in a stock. Um, I did that in 98, I think it was February or March, uh, when the internet group was moving and nobody believed in the group then and everybody thought they were way hyped and overvalued, but by looking at these charts and ignoring whatever you saw on financial television or in the newspapers, you saw big money was lining up in droves to buy these things. And so what I did was I, would, I, I took a 20% position, I think, in Amazon and another one in uh, Yahoo. And as they moved up, I added on to each stock. And at one point, it was, I think, late February, early March or mid-March, I had 50% of my account in Amazon, 50% in Yahoo, and I had five other stocks with the remaining 100% of my account. In other words, I was using full margin, which is it's called 195% long. When you're 100% invested in the market, that's 100% long. When you borrow money and go on margin, which I only recommend that people do uh, when you're really comfortable with the strategy. I'm just illustrating to you how people that have done this successfully for a number of years jumpstart the results to a new level when you start to use margin and you add on positions. So at that point, I had 100% of my account in two stocks, Amazon and Yahoo, and five stocks for the rest of the, uh, the other 95% I was invested and everything worked out beautifully. And that little move that I made greatly contributed to my results in 1998. Um, so you absolutely want to force more of your money over time into the better stocks in your account. Uh, but you don't want to necessarily just add on to positions as a stock is, is extended above its base by, say, more than 5 8% or so. Um, one thing I didn't mention, which is I can't believe I didn't bring this up, but you never want to buy a stock with, my, with this strategy in any way, you never want to buy a stock when it's, say, more than 5 to 7% above the top of the base. Say you take a day a vacation on, on a, say, uh, yesterday, the stock breaks out, its pivot is 100, that's the, that's the buy point, the top of your base. It moves up, say, 10%, and you're gone that day, you, you didn't buy it. You come back Monday, you see it's at 110, you immediately buy it because you're afraid you missed the move. That's the wrong move to make. The reason is that when you're buying a stock more than 10% above the base and you're wrong, there's nothing to support that stock. That's the whole reason why you buy a stock coming out of the base. The reason being, if you're wrong, there's some sort of support in the form of the top of the base so that the stock perhaps doesn't drop much more than a few percent and you're still in the position with maybe a small loss or maybe your break even at that point. Um, so again, I would not recommend margin or concentrated positions or even adding your winners until you prove yourself that this strategy works. Um, there's some people in this room that started trading this strategy in the last six to nine months that have yet to really make it work for themselves based on the general market and how bad it's been. Um, hopefully these people will find uh, you know, some better fortune next year. Um, it's, it's, nobody has really made money in this market much unless you took advantage of the February to mid-March uh, blow-off in tech stocks, which was a great opportunity for a lot of people. Unless you took advantage of that, you didn't really make much money using the strategy this year, and you might have even lost a little if you kept buying every time stocks broke out without really showing a lot of regard to the fact that the NASDAQ really was pretty much in a downtrend for most of the year. Okay, I'm happy to talk with anybody that has questions from this point on. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Great. Thanks. Thanks very much for listening.